Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. series on our missional goals. Now, our missional goals are simply the ways we live out our mission. And here at Encounter, we have one very simple mission. It is this. We exist so that you can have an encounter with Jesus. Full stop. End of sentence. That's the whole thing. This is why we exist. But then we've got to sort of translate that into action one way or another. And that's where the missional goals come into play. So last week, I touched on the first five. That's contending in prayer, being Bible-fed and Spirit-led, having kingdom-centered creativity, igniting gospel movements, and our big one, our number one, which is developing resilient disciples. But I want to look briefly at the next five today. But really, more than that, I want to focus on our other most important missional goal. We've got these two that matter the most. One is developing resilient disciples at the front, and the one at the back is having hearts on fire for Jesus. These are our bookends. Everything else is within that, because I believe that if you have passion and resilience in your walk with Jesus, you will not only last the test of time, you will do it with joy and in a way that transforms you, transforms your family, transforms community, transforms the people around you, because we were not made to live without passion. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, let me tell you a story about passion because before there were NFTs, there were trading cards, <laughs> right? Basketball cards, peak early 90s stuff right here. For an 11-year-old or 10 or whatever age I was back then, you start to lose track a little bit. The, it, this was as good as it got. You did not want to be anywhere else except having trading cards and, and particularly basketball cards, now, I can't really explain it to you clearly enough if you weren't alive in that period of time, except to say this. On my street in Teacher Gully, at the end of it, there was an exclusive basketball card shop, and it was making money, right? And then, in Teacher Plaza, there was another one. That's how popular basketball cards were in the early 90s. It is impossible to overstate how many hundreds of dollars I poured into that as a 10, 11, 12-year-old. Every cent I got, birthday, pocket money, didn't matter, found it under the couch probably, poured it in buying basketball cards. There's nothing more valuable in the world than a piece of cardboard, except apparently in today's culture where a photo of a piece of cardboard is even more valuable, that NFT culture. And if you were really into it, you might subscribe to a super nerdy magazine called Beckett, which gave you updates on what they were worth, which I definitely did because I didn't have a whole lot going on as a 10-year-old. Now, this was a big, big passion for me. And I, I loved it. I loved getting basketball cards. You've got to say, overall, this, was, this is the best card I ever had. The light's not great. This is my Shaquille O'Neal rookie card. I've still got it. I didn't bring it here because even all these years later, I can't trust other people with it. <laughs> but even after all this time, even after all this passion, even after all this energy, they're basically bookmarks. A lot of money probably four figures in total, has gone into some very expensive bookmarks with pictures on them. Basically the same ones as they send free with books from Book Depository. It's not that different. To put it lightly, that's a waste of money. It's a passion, but it's a waste of money. Because sometimes we can follow our passions, but they can lead us to places that are vastly unhelpful and unhealthy. And I want to look at that today because passion is critical to your life and mine. It is critical. And we need to know not only how to use it, but where to use it. 
And when we talk about passion, we are generally talking about something we're deeply interested and invested in. See, Oxford Dictionary, two definitions of passion. The first one is something you'd be familiar with. It's a strong and barely controllable emotion. Passion is overwhelming. It can be all-consuming. But there is a second definition of passion if you go into the Oxford Dictionary, and that is this, the life and death and suffering of Jesus Christ. Second definition in the Oxford Dictionary. Now, the events around the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus are known as the passion narrative. Jesus has passion for his people. The Greek term that the Bible uses for passion means primarily, actually, not like joy and like, you know, let's get after it, like we kind of think about passion now, but suffering. It primarily means suffering. Jesus suffered on behalf of those he loved, but he also suffered because he loved. See, his Passion for us was played out in that way. There's this musical term, consensibilita. It's Italian. It means to play with feeling. That's what it's like to have a life with passion. It is to become animated. It is to live a life, as the second century Bishop Irenaeus said, fully alive. The glory of God is a human being, fully alive. We were not made to live distant from our passion. Jesus puts it this way in John 10.10. I have come so that you might have life and life in abundance. Life to the full, life overflowing. This is why passion matters. It's a part of truly living, living with feeling. But as I mentioned before with the basketball cards, passion can go in the wrong direction. It can go wrong. It can be unhelpfully used. And the first way that passion can go wrong in our lives is when our passions are overindulged. Part of the nature of passion is that it is strong. That's kind of what we think about with passion. Just ask the 470 engaged Christian couples at Encounter about the difficulty... Of passion. I'm just going to leave that there. Especially if you are young, strong passions can be overwhelming. Now, overwhelming is one thing, but overindulgent is another. Because we, we're the first generation to ever use the word binge in a positive light, right? Oh, let's binge Netflix. Previously, if you said binge, people would try and, and take you for an intervention. Now they're like, yeah, totally, makes a lot of sense. You enjoy your long weekend. <laughs> we, are, we are the sort of people, as a relatively wealthy generation, we've just gone, oh, we can do something, so we should. If I'm able to, I will. Anybody in this room ever started eating a block of chocolate and accidentally turned it into a small meal? Yeah, yeah, yeah good. I'm, I'm glad there's some honest people in this room. The end result of overindulged passion is addiction. We become trapped by our passions. They can bring us great joy, but they can also bring us great struggle. That's what addiction is. So something we enjoy in some way, so let's say food or alcohol or Netflix or a relationship actually becomes an addiction that we cannot break and it ends up negatively affecting our life. So this passion that you follow because it brings you joy actually brings you death. That's what happens when we overindulge in a passion. So there's got to be something to help with that. And the solution is wise boundaries. In order to control a passion, you need wise boundaries so that our passion doesn't consume us. That's why Jesus did not just tell us to live our truth or, or something else that doesn't work. Instead, he gives us a way to live. He gives us a life an obedient life to follow and challenges us to walk in that way. See, we need wise boundaries, friends, but the only person truly equipped to give them to us is God. Otherwise, we're all just making it up as we go along. And that gets me to my second point about passion. The second way that passion can go wrong is when our passions are misdirected. So they can be overindulged, but they can be misdirected. It's not just that we can have too much of a good thing. It's that we can chase the wrong thing entirely. We can chase things that are either just not good at all or are not good for us. 
So they might be good for other people, but they're not good for us. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're a child, you've grown up in an environment, a high pressure environment, where you feel like your parents are asking you to be a certain way or become a certain person. So let's say that your parents put so much educational pressure on you that you become a doctor, but you become the world's most miserable doctor because what you were actually meant to do, your gifts, your graces, your passions would have led you towards accounting. It may be that we have too many miserable occupational therapists and not enough happy landscapers because we feel that pressure. Of, now, none of those occupations are bad, right? But they may be wrong for you. They are misdirected passions. That is one of the things we've got to watch out for. You can be overindulged. You can be misdirected. And frankly, this idea is just as true in church as it is anywhere else. You can poll 10 people and ask them, what's your favorite style of music in church? And they might give you 10 different answers. But if you then turn around and go, let's play all 10 different songs next week, do you know how many of those people are happy? None. None of them are happy. Every single one of them is miserable at that decision. Here's why. There's no unity and there's no clarity. Unity commands a blessing. And without some vision, without some clarity, people fall apart. They perish. Those are just scriptures, guys. This is just the truth of the Bible played out in our lives. We need something to focus around. So the end result of misdirected passion is misery. It just leads to anxiety and uncertainty and a lack of fulfillment. Now, if you're here and you're feeling some of those things, it could be because you have pursued the wrong passions. Again, maybe they're not evil, but maybe they are wrong for you. You are meant to be pursuing something else. Or maybe you put it in the wrong order. You've made a passion bigger than it should be. And the solution for misdirected passions is direction within boundaries. We've got the boundaries, but the boundaries by themselves, which for us as a church are our mission, our vision, our values, and our culture... They're not enough. Boundaries by themselves are limiting. Boundaries with direction are empowering. Boundaries that tell you if you go beyond this, you're going to overconsume. You're going to overdo it. You're actually going to be in pain. But when you add direction to those boundaries, it's empowering. It's exciting. It's vision. It's movement. It's going forward. And that is where the missional goals come in. That's why we as a community need things that we get around specifically. Now, later on, you'll be able to look out the back and, and we've got our missional goals. Actually, we've got last year's missional goals up on the wall. That's all right. We'll work that out another day. But we, we have these missional goals for you to realise and get your head around and go, okay, this is where we'll put our energy and put our focus. We can't just go in 50 different directions all at once because we won't achieve anything. So each year, we gather a few together. So here are the other five missional goals. I'm going to go through them like rapid pace. So you're going to need to keep up. The first, the ones I haven't mentioned yet, we are for the city. We are a generous, loving community sent to be good neighbours to our city. We believe that Christians should make their city prosper, not just financially, but far more in the spirit, in the community, in the way that people love and know one another. Jesus sent us to be good neighbours, so we are for the city. Second, we are culturally engaged leaders. That means we want to be a church that sees people called and equipped for their chosen vocation, no matter what they are called to do, so that you can know the times and know what to do with it in your vocation. We want doctors, we want lawyers, we want nurses, we want garbage people who are sold out followers of Jesus and know how to translate that into action in their lives, whatever their workplace is. The third one, and this is one of our missional goals for this year, is impacting the generations. Yeah. We're focused on that this year. Now, obviously, primarily that comes through employing a generations pastor, but not exclusively. 
This just means that we are a future-focused church. We will always focus on impacting the generations. Overall, what this means is that if we go over budget somewhere, I want it to be because we're over-investing in youth, young adults, children, and families. That is where I want to over-invest. I'm 40 now. I'm not in any of those categories. I'm not even like a young family anymore. Nobody tell my youngest kid that who clings on to me like a sloth, even though he's getting quite heavy. (laughs) We're not in that category. I'm not investing in me. We have to invest in the next generation to lead them in the way of Jesus. This is the generational commandment. It comes from Deuteronomy. God comes, it gives through Moses. He says, this is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbour as yourself. And then the next thing he says is teach this to your children. Raise up the next generation in the way to go. Strap it to their arms, their heads, their homes. Don't let them forget the goodness of God. That's why we will always invest in the next generation. Which is great news if you're under 30, but it's even better news if you're over because it means you get to be a part of investing in the next generation. That's who we're called to become. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to keep talking even if you don't amen me. The other new missional goal for 2022 is welcoming people home. We are a generous church with a culture of authentic welcome and extravagant hospitality and free coffee. That part's not really in it, but we do have free coffee. I hope you enjoy it. We want to be the most welcoming church in the city. We want to give of ourselves so that others might know Jesus. We want to find a place that people can not only call home, that's why we've got the Connect cards, so that you can begin that process of connecting in and finding a home. But we want you to begin to develop deep, enriching friendships that grow you and strengthen you as a person in and out of this building, mostly out. And then we want you most of all to come home to Jesus. That's the ultimate place we want to encourage and see people welcomed home that they might know Jesus personally and have that transform them. So we want to welcome people home. That's the point of a church to be the people of God on earth, constantly pointing the way back to God through Jesus, just like Jesus did. That's the passion of church. It's our reason for existence. We exist to help you have an encounter with Jesus and this is how we do it. And that brings me to our final missional goal, to have hearts on fire for Jesus. We are a passionate church who declare the name of Jesus through our whole lives. There is no compartmentalization of being a follower of Jesus. There's not a bit where you go to church on Sunday and another bit where you live the rest of your life. Frankly, that's how hypocrisy reigns in the church. When we try and compartmentalize your Christian life over here and leave the rest of it out here. That's why people end up hating the church. This is why people do extraordinarily awful things from the church because we take it as like a part of our life instead of saying Jesus reigns. He is the king of every part of my life. And so every action I take reflects who I am as a follower of Jesus. And that's what it means to follow him. But to have hearts on fire for him is a bit more than that. We've got to cultivate that. And that brings me back to the problem with our passion. See, we can overindulge our passion. We can misdirect our passion. We can forget our passion. We can forget our passion. And perhaps the most common problem with passion does not see passion end in addiction or in anxiety, but in apathy. We just kind of fizzle out. Now, before I said, especially for young people, overwhelming passion can be a problem. I mentioned young people because for us who are not as young, it's more the apathy thing. It's more that we start well and then just kind of slow down. And it's almost like we think that if we get a really good head start out of the gate, that's going to get us going for the rest of our lives and that's it. And that can set us on the right track. But the Christian life is about so much more than that. 
It's not just going to be about that one good moment you had in a youth camp or that one time you came down the front at church. Those are significant. Those are igniting moments, but you need more. In the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to seven churches. And at one point, he offers a painful rebuke to a church in a place called Ephesus, which is where we get the letter to Ephesians. It's that church. They're a good church. And Jesus says this, I know that you've persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. Jeez, that sounds like all of us in the last three years. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you have at first. The New King James puts it this way. You've left your first love. You've forgotten the passion that you have for Jesus. See, passion is like a fire. It has to be cultivated. It has to be stoked. And when it dies down, at some point, you're going to have to do the work to put some more wood on it. Otherwise, it will just burn down. Jesus himself will not burn down, but your passion for him will, unless you are doing the work to put something on the fire. You're building up your spiritual muscles time after time after time by building up the fires of your faith in order that passion might continue to reign in your heart so that this is not just something you know about Jesus, so that you become dry and intellectual and disconnected from other human beings. But it is something that reigns in your heart and it bursts through your life through the power of the Holy Spirit to impact powerfully and positively the rest of the world around you. Amen? Amen. That is what God is longing for you. It's not just a good idea. It's essential to living a life of meaning and purpose and joy. When we forget our passion, we lose joy. We stop being fully alive, but we simply exist. We've got to recover our passion. But how do we do that? Well, luckily, Jesus tells us how. He says, remember and repent. Remember how far you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Now, if you're like this, in one sense, you might read that and immediately go, oh man, that's a bit heavy, a bit intimidating. You might, you might feel like that's a lot. I don't think Jesus wants you to feel like it's a lot. I think he just wants you to feel. He wants you to feel remember, repent. When he's saying remember, this is what he's saying. Do you, do you remember the love you have at first? If you're here and you're somebody who believes in the name of Jesus, do you remember the moment when you were first caught by the idea that God loves you? God loves everyone, but he loves you. And that in that moment, you, your heart was captured by this being that is far beyond space and time, yet chose to limit himself in the person of Jesus in order to display love to you in order to live out his passion, his suffering, so that you would not have to, in order that you might know him personally, in in order that you might have a relationship with God, not just now, but for the rest of time. Is there anybody in this this room that remembers their passion? Is there anyone online that remembers what it was like when Jesus first captured their heart? Because without that, we're done, church. We are cooked. God is calling us to feel to remember the way it was at first. And then he's turning. He's saying, repent, repent and do the works. Now, there's something about repenting from sin in there for sure. But he's saying, do you remember? Turn your back on all this stuff you're doing now. Do you remember the stuff you just chose to do because you loved God? When that love of God was so strong in your heart and you're like, let me serve, let me stay later, let me go away all weekend. It's always classic to me when people in their 30s, 40s and 50s get worried about how much 18-year-olds are serving. It's like, mate, they're fine. They've been up all night gaming and now they just come and they'll serve for another 12 hours straight and then they're going to sleep for a day and a half because that's just how their bodies are rolling right now. It's okay. But it's not just about metabolism, although it's a little bit about metabolism. It is about the love you have at first when you get caught by Christ. 
When he, he gives you a vision, a revelation of the love he has for you and what he has done on your behalf, we are caught by that and we just serve, we just do. It comes out of an overflow of who we are. Friends, I've got to tell you, I, I get it. I get why our passion tails off in life. Last week, we talked about the parable of the soul, and that's really what it's all about. It's the troubles of this world, and it's the troubles of our life. These are the things that catch us. We get tired, we get scared, we get distracted, and we get busy, and we find ourselves living a mediocre life with Jesus barely on the fringes. That's the danger. There's no denying that life can be very hard, but it's much harder when we fight Jesus being at the center. It's much harder when we stop resting in his love. One last story as we finish, and Bandy, you guys can come back up. The Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be spending a lot more time in the Gospel of Luke going through Easter. It's going to be a great time together. The Gospel of Luke ends with the resurrection of Jesus. But because we're reading the narrative, we're reading history here, the disciples don't have the same insight that we do at the same time. And Jesus doesn't appear to everybody all at once. So, so many of the disciples are crushed. They do not know that Jesus has been resurrected. Some of them have heard rumors, second, third hand rumors. They don't know whether they believe it or not because it's the sort of thing that quite understandably you want to see for yourself. And so there's this story in Luke chapter 24 that two of the disciples are walking together from Jerusalem to a nearby town called Emmaus. And they're walking together and this is what the passage says. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here these days? What things, he asked them. Classic Jesus. (laughs) What things? So they begin to tell him, They actually unpack the gospel to him. They tell him of the power of the life of Jesus. They tell him of what that meant to them. They tell him, Jesus himself, of what he did on behalf of others. And they tell him that they believe that he was the Messiah and the Son of God, but he was crucified and he has died. And then Jesus turns to them and he goes, you've missed it. Oh, how slow you've been to pick this all up. And he unpacks it, not just the life of Jesus, but from start to finish, from the beginning of time, the book as it's written through Genesis, all through Malachi, the entire Old Testament. He brings it all together and sees how it points to Jesus. And he says, don't you see that the Son of Man had to have his passion? He had to go through suffering. Don't you see And then as we get back to the text, they came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus, still hidden to them, who has spent the last hour or so talking about the necessary suffering, talking about how Jesus has fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled. And then he did this. He reclined at the table with them. He took bread He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, just like he did in communion, the Last Supper. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us? While he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us, that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Friends, Every one of us in this room has a choice when it comes to Jesus and our passion because ultimately passion becomes a choice 
If you've been in a relationship with somebody longer than three months, you know that passion, that love, they become choices. We have to decide what to do with that. Likewise, when we've been a Christian for a while, there is a choice we have to make, and that is this. Am I now too self-important to go down on my knees and invite the Holy Spirit to flood me again? Am I too old? Am I too far along in my faith? Am I too mature to rededicate my life to Jesus once again? Or am I maybe too dry? See, there is something that happens within each and every one of us. When the passion burns anew, it becomes like a bonfire. There's this quote attributed to John Wesley that says, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles around to watch you burn. There is something about a passionate follower of Jesus. There is something so compelling about passion that even if you don't understand it, you find yourself drawn to it. That even if you don't even like it, about people come near and question and go, there is something going on here. But we, church, we have lost passion. And I'm pointing not to Encounter, but to the whole church in Adelaide. Across this state, we have forgotten our first love. We've let two and a half years of COVID push us down and that's understandable, but it can't be the final word. We have let a lengthy period of time of living in comfort overwhelm us from living with fire. See, the Spirit of God, when it comes down at Pentecost, He comes with fire. He doesn't display Himself in like, you know, a pool of water at our feet. He comes down with fire on our heads because there is a passion that He has come in to put inside of us that we are then given to steward and care for. Where are you with your passion, church? What have you been doing with the passions in your life? Have you found something else to overindulge in that has meant you haven't had room for Jesus? Have you been misdirected? Have you just gone down another path and sort of put Jesus over here? And let me tell you, for most of you, it's not that you've got rid of God. It's just that you haven't put Him in the very centre of your life. Today's the day for you, my friends. It is time once again to light yourself on fire for Christ. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.